Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here in the podcast studio, joined by my dear friend and colleague, the Reverend Dr. Michael Berg, and my dear friend and colleague, the Reverend Professor Jason Oakland. Um, no Joel this week, but we're planning on having him back. I have to say, we got a lot of good feedback about the Seminex episode, so Joel was a hit. Um, he's helping the numbers. <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh, I didn't think you could hear some, that, Jason. Some, Sorry. Some of us are anchors and uh, other. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but we uh, we're gonna have to kind of keep it moving. We got a little distracted talking shop before we were meant to record, and Jason has to teach. I do. They expect him to show. What are you gonna be teaching? I have uh, Abraham. Quicker, we gotta stay focused. Abraham in Genesis, and I have Corinthians in um, Pauline epistles. Okay, excellent. So Jason will have to take off. If you, if Jason just disappears at some point, that means he left and Michael and I are going to keep going without him. But what we'll be doing today, I think is an interesting concept or something to think about. Um, Michael, you've mentioned this for a little while now. I assume you've been reading in it. Um, I was working on a presentation and, and you mentioned something with it too. And so it's got me intrigued. Um, and, uh, I think it's, as you've, You've talked about it, something that is kind of a blind spot and for the church and for society as a whole, which is a theology or an approach to suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I guess I had always figured that kind of subsumed under Theologia Crucis, the theology of the cross. But I think there are ways, right, that you're bringing out that it's it's not just that, especially as we're talking cross glory as a lens for understanding life. And so that will be our topic, which Michael will be leading us in um, we are part of the 1517 Podcasting Network. You can go to 1517.org, find all sorts of good stuff there. Encourage you to do that. And lest we go too long, Jason, would you like to give us our disclaimer, please? Yes, indeed. This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We'll be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy mindset. Keep time. Okay. Because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you're just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. Excellent job. Thank you. And that brings us to our main topic, which will be a theology of suffering. And I, I just do want to double check as we begin this, Michael. Um, you being interested in this has nothing to do with the third floor and the department, right? Oh, I think we all know <laughs> that my back hurts the, uh, for, from carrying this department. It, uh, well, maybe if we, if we start with, if I can just begin with a question for you. Before we even nail down what specifically a theology of suffering, what you, what you mean by that, or philosophy of it, um, what got you interested in it? Yeah. Where did it come from? Sure. I mean, I've, this has always been kind of on, on my radar, just thinking about the difference between modernity and postmodernity. And, and one of the major differences is that in the modern period, there was not a, uh, there was not a theology of suffering in the church. Um, that was that was very pronounced, and I would suggest that reflected the greater societal, uh, culture, and philosophical era. That there was there was in the modern worldview, really not room for a concept of suffering. 
And uh, the reason I got into that is thinking the, thinking of the theology of the cross and 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 hearing about this and being so intrigued by it and moved by it, and then asking the question, uh, where were our authors the last few hundred years on this? There were very few. In fact, uh, for uh, uh, my kind of master's level work, I was researching this and, and went to libraries, and, and I mean, there's just not a lot out there. And uh, same way with vocation, that's kind of stuff. And I, I think it was because the modern period uh, thought in a certain way, and the, and the church thought in a certain way that way. And, and but as I'm being a pa- as you know, I'm in the parish. Uh, you know, you, you start to realize how many blind spots you have, and then you start stop you stop complaining about the previous generation and their blind spots, and you realize everyone has their blind spots. And and I, I came to the conclusion that God maybe only gives each generation or era, um, you know, maybe one or two problems to handle. <laughs> Um, and so for the modern era, largely, and we could, we could disagree about this, but largely it was an epistemological question for the church. Um, can, can, we, uh, can we know that the scriptures are correct or not? Or, you know, these questions about autonomous reason versus revelation, that kind of stuff. And so I started asking a question, what is, what is, what is, our, what is our deal, right? What, what, is, what, is, what is being put before us? And I think it's a it's a question we cannot answer as as all three of us has said have said publicly. We need a hundred, two hundred, three hundred years of historical uh, separation, and, and the historians need to tell us what we were about in a very real way. Um, it's hard to see it in the moment, but I think it's a fun exercise to ask what what is the what is the great big question or challenge for our society and the church today? And I think you could argue quite a few things. I think. Um, technology is obviously an issue, especially this is, it, it becomes exaggerated with AI. Um, uh, the, the, I still maintain the physical, spiritual, like how do you put those things together, right? Um, so, um, and uh, you, you had mentioned something similar in, in your chapel uh, today, Wade, um, where I think you were talking about... Where I was dressed ridiculously. You look great. <laughs> this... Um, this generation, like the students who were talking to these students, that um, you know th- that they were actually very pious or something, something along those those lines, right? Um, and I take that as they are a part of a movement to put back the physical from the spiritual, or put those things back together. Because, for example, I've used this before, but uh, our grandparents, when they bought fruit, they only asked two questions: Was it ripe? And how much did it cost? It was an economic decision they made. Today, there's ethical components. Is it, uh, you know, is it uh, ethically sourced? Is it good for my body? Those kinds of things. It's more holistic. And what what? All the plastic straws. I bet is what I said to you. So what 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 happens here is, and I I think this is this is true more and more, is that there are things that are going on in the younger generation, and, and we think about these things because that's, that's our context, right? We're constantly in front of these, these young adults. And they're putting, they're, they're figuring these things out, but they're doing it in a very clumsy way. So, and, and that's a part of having to regrow uh, these concepts that were largely lost in the modern period. So, so let me go through those again, right? And I think some of it too, doing it in a clumsy way mm-hmm. 
but also doing it in a public and vocal way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, it's out there, yeah. you know, you see it for all to see. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, you know, there are certain things that annoy me about the, this generation. Um, and there were things that, you know, our generation is annoying to, to the boomers and, and so on and so forth. Um, but I stop and think and be like, there's, they're actually onto something. They're just putting it back into a clumsy weed because we didn't teach them or, or we lost that. So for example, um, they're going to take a picture of, uh, everything they eat. Yeah. And put it online. Like what's the deal? Well, what they're understanding in a clumsy way without actually knowing it is that food is more than just, uh, fuel, food is more than just fuel for the body which is something that the modern period thought about is purely American to think about uh, food as only a fuel for the body, like fast food and this kind of stuff. And we totally misunderstand the whole concept of the spirituality of eating uh, all the way from uh, Genesis uh, 1 and 2. Yeah. Um, th- th- we, don't, we have no idea about ta- table fellowship, yeah. table fellowship, all that kind of stuff. And yet we are, we are eaters, and God made us eaters, we can't get away from it. And so in an, in an, in without even thinking they're, they're bringing that back in a clumsy way. Uh, your idea about like plastic getting worked out. Can I just hit on the pictures of food real quick? So Jason and I are actually in a group chat Mm. where we send pictures of the food that we've made. And, 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 um, and with, with our boy C note and my daughter Maggie. Okay. You want in? No. Are you sure? No, I don't. I don't. I spend a lot of time yeah. getting and framing these pictures. Right, right. But it's something of the, you would never have done this in high school. No, I was too yeah. busy with other things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, plastic straws. Right. And so another clumsy way is to think like. I'm still going to add another group. I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be super righteous about things. Where in the modern period, because you were thinking progress, you were okay with the collateral damage of progress. Why? Which is, and boomers will dismiss these concerns that, because still kind of in that thought of like, we'll figure oh, it out. Yeah. Like what, caring about climate, straws, right, right. whatever, it, as if like these things just come, are a complete inanity. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, and I, I believe that the modern period really was so was so optimistic about humanity and scientific progress. And you can totally understand why. I mean, it's one thing after a printing press, starting with the printing press, you know, late medieval, but getting going. I mean, quick. how quickly we went. Public health measures, medical yeah. science. How quickly we went communication, from... Communication, transportation. From, from, from an automobile to the moon is just bonkers crazy, right? Yeah. Um, or I, from a steam train to an automobile. Yeah. All of this stuff, like... I. We think things are moving fast now. A I, telegram I don't know. to FaceTime. Yeah. yeah. I don't know that... Histo- I, I can't tell this for sure, of course, but historians looking back and, and thinking that from 2023 you know, or 24, where we are at, to, to the end of our you know, millennia or whatever, we think it's just going to be so crazy and fast or whatever. I don't know. I think they're going to see the, you know, the, the 18th and, or the 19th and 20th century as that. Anyway, besides the point... That, that, I mean, literally having optimist clubs, right? The op- idea of optimism. You were okay with the collateral damage of labor and environment or whatever because we would figure it out. We're always going to get better. And, and you wake up in, uh, you know, in, the, in the early 2000s and you're like, but we have market crashes and all this kind of stuff. And there was market crashes before, of course. 
but there is definitely the shines off of modernity. Postmodernity, to be to be charitable, says modernity. You did not fulfill your promises to us. And while we should be a little bit more appreciative of our medical advancements, uh, it also gave us an opioid epidemic, mm-hmm. right? And I'm, I'm appreciative of all the things that capitalism has done for us, and I believe still believe it's the the best system to pull people out of out of poverty. We can argue Wait about that in a different way. We can, we can argue about that in a different <laughs> way. But what do you give up? You give up a lot. You give up a lot. So here, let me finish yep. this one point. So the, the, the self-righteousness of this generation, while annoying and sometimes misplaced over against things that are more serious, is their clumsy um, attempt to be more ethically minded and not, and not be satisfied with the collateral damage of so-called progress. Yeah, and I think, so, a big part of this with this, and, and this is, we sometimes, you know, I sometimes can get a little frustrated um, with students. Mm. Um, we have good students at the college overall. I'm not complaining about just um, in general. Uh, but you look at something just in that age group, and for instance, anxiety, and we wonder why are they so anxious? Well, they, they're the group that they've had the internet all this time while we were still trying to figure out what to do with it and we threw iPads at all of them, you know, every classroom needed tech, whatever else, and they've just not known life without it. They've had multiple economic, you know, recessions, uh, some pretty deep. They've had plague. They've and, had COVID. all of it exaggerated by media. Right. Yeah. Climate change to whatever degree, whether it's caused by people to some degree, whatever else, all these things, and they're bombarded with it through internet, mass media, et cetera. Um, but I do think there's a sense for them, and I don't think it's wrong that they're on the front end of generations having it worse than the preceding generation possibly, which was not how we thought of things going for the longest and time. We never imagined that it would be any other way. Right. And so... Um, I think you're exactly right, and I'm interested in this idea that in so in modernity, there was suffering, but suffering was just a problem we were eventually going to fix. Yeah, let me. Yeah, yeah. And so, so you look at like in ethics, you read the rough draft I sent you, but for the more modern philosophers, suffering is a problem, and it's just what you avoid, which meant you largely didn't talk about it, and even just societally, we largely hide it away. You suffer in the hospital, you suffer in your house, you we suffer in hospice, right? It's not something that's prominently displayed. A lot of the time, this has maybe changed a little bit in um, in the arts, but a lot of time, even at, you know, TV shows, movies, suffering's presented just so it can be transcended, right? It's that you don't wrestle with it as much, although there's been some very popular shows that were based on just showing the sad. Um, but uh, I think something you brought up in Chapel the other day that I'm interested to hear more about is, you know, that... And with politics and religion, we were told not to talk about them, and then we forget how to talk about them, and now we've got no framework for processing them, and this creates a lot of problems. Um, I think that's also true with suffering, mm-hmm. that we, we never were taught how to talk about it. And and so I, I will get students in ethics who, when I talk about the kind of the traditional Christian stance, the church's stance on abortion, they get it. They can completely understand it. Euthanasia is much more a struggle and the difference is the question of suffering. Well, would we want people to suffer? And you say, well, I'm not saying I want them yeah. to suffer. Uh, and so maybe 
with this, it just building on what you've you've hit yeah, upon, um, how that fits in of suffering is is more than just a problem in this life. It's yeah. it's not like God says, Oh yeah, I really hope they figure that out. Yeah. So let, let me say a couple things and then kind of go back and, and still kind of setting the stage here. So I, I would argue to your point about like, you know, they don't have a framework for, for suffering. Well, their framework is therapy. Right. Right. And therapy's great, but you lose something without philosophy. So I, I would argue we, we have a we have we have we have education without philosophy, theology without philosophy, the hard sciences without philosophy, therapy without philosophy, psychology without philosophy. And yet people get PhDs and all of that was the irony. And <laughs> it's 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 a problem. Like if I, I was thinking the other day if I was a billionaire I would just I would just plop in like buy chairs of philosophy at like every Lutheran university in the world. You know what I mean? Like this is our issue. This is one of our issues. Okay, so back to like we're talking about what are what are the issues of our day? You could say technology, you could say um the idea of uh um maybe the, the body, physical and spiritual. I think that's 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 a for me a leading candidate and and this has to do with issues of gender, right? There's some you know, latent Gnosticism in the modern period. But I wonder if, so just to set the stage, I wonder if that the idea of suffering actually is our issue because this largely has to do, or this plays a part in all of them, including the, the, the idea of gender, right? The, the idea that I would have to suffer at any point in my life is just anathema. And... What I say to the students, I, I would say is, if suffering doesn't have meaning, then half of life doesn't have meaning. I say, because 51% of life is suffering, and that's on a good day in America, let alone a bad day in Haiti. And if more than half of life has no meaning, you're really close to asking the question, why do I bother? So, um, and that has to do with, with why do I have to study? Why should I, or why should I have anybody disagree with me, and 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 why should I have to do the work to, to actually uh, debate and, and research my idea and grow when I can just yell you down? Why should I ever have to identify in any other way other than what I'm feeling at that particular moment? I mean, this has a lot of ramifications. This idea of suffering, and so I wonder if. And I'll say more after your year, but the, the idea that the issue of suffering really is the the issue of our day, and no wonder that we're we've been for the last thirty years really ramping up theology, the crosstalk. Yeah. I, I found this too with because um, <clears throat> this comes up with some frequency of you know students kind of wondering about yeah you know, and, and kind of the question of like what why sh- do I really have to go to church mm-hmm. like. And and that's part of that too. Like, why 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 is this something that I should continue to, you know? I'm in college. I I I know this stuff, right? I know who Jesus is. I know what Jesus did for me. Why do I? Why should I have to keep going to church because I know it all? And it's like, yeah, that's great. And you probably won't hear something new. And you know, God be praised for that. But I think dealing with some of those things, dealing with the the suffering, dealing with those tough questions and temptations and all of those yeah. other things. I mean, I think that's part of that. I don't, oh. You know, not oh, necessarily the only thing. I think thing, you're but. right on. I mean, 
partly, I mean, literally the physical Holy Communion and yeah, communion of the presence yeah. of God. But when I go to a congregation, I have to deal with people, and that means I have to suffer. Yeah. Even if it's a kind suffering, like I have to say hello and kind of put on a face or whatever. I mean, people are exhausting, mm-hmm. right? You have to suffer for this. And, and, and the fact that you, the fact that you could, you could go through life without the concept of that. And if you, you take, I mean, we all know passion means suffering. You don't have compassion then. You don't have passion for things, right? And, and so maybe it's not just so much that the, the, the technology has made our, our, our kids, you know, lifeless and, uh, you know, full of, full of ennui. Yes, E-N-N, how do we yeah. pronounce that? We tried this before, right? And we? Sloth, and we, sloth. Yeah. Um, but that, but that there's, there's just no concept that I would have a, I would not suffer for something. I would not have a passion for something. I would not work hard for something, right? In fact, I, that may even be kind of like a, you know, OCD or whatever. So, so to, the, to the question, is suffering then an issue of our day? And I think it's helpful to think about, okay, how would other people think about suffering? So... In the ancient world, and this is largely, you know, uh, you know, stereotype. So take it with a grain of salt. But there was meaning to suffering. It usually was the wrong meaning. It was the gods are angry at us, burn the witches, and then they'll be happy with us, or make a sacrifice, or um, you know, uh, uh, make the ancestors happy by doing something. Um, but there, but at least there was. There was something that made that that made suffering make sense. So in in a in a modern and when I mean by modern, largely a naturalistic uh, worldview, there really isn't a meaning for suffering. In fact, it's something to be eradicated. And I like to think about to be eradicated by one of the three pills: either a psychology, um, uh, a policy. Or a pill, so medicine, governmental policy, or therapy is going to fix your fix your problems. But it's something to run away from. It's something to progress out of. And uh, the only thing that I can think of in this worldview where that 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 suffering would have meaning, without trying to jump through a whole bunch of weird hoops to make it sound like your religious idea of suffering actually comes from a secular point of view. I think you can get there, but it's it's kind of Lame. The only thing I can think in, in in a purely Darwinistic worldview where suffering has meaning is I only touch the hot stove once, right? It helps me progress in, in a certain, somehow, some way, it's progression. But there's no deeper philosophical, spiritual meaning to suffering. There isn't in life and Darwinism either. But you get what I'm saying. So <clears throat> what bothers me a little bit is when people are usually, or when they try to make the case for whatever social thing that's in the, in the case, they often go to kind of the lowest common denominator argument, which is to say these people are more apt to commit suicide. And then they make the, the very illogical jump to say, and that's because they're not being accepted, which A, I'm not sure that they have not been accepted, whatever group you're talking about. B, that's bad science, right, to say, well, that must be the, the reason where it could be that, people going down that path already have a psychological problem. I mean, this is, I'm not trying to make a political statement here. I'm just saying that's kind of basics, how you run experiments and, 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 and uh, think about the difference between causation and correlation. And all. And this is like first, 
first this is freshman yeah. year stuff right how do you how do you eliminate all <laughs> right. those other variables right yeah. i mean it doesn't work right so and i would argue i would say we're so obsessed with the the nitty-gritty data of generation to generation or in a scientific way here's what it, that we tend to ignore these great philosophical eras and i'm not saying because i don't want to make the same mistake that that they made that this is the reason why suicides spike in certain places but i, I think it's, it needs to be a part of the conversation that the ancients, when they committed suicide, it was for so-called honorable reasons. We would not consider them honorable, like shame or something like that. <clears throat> but at least they, they were selfless acts, or at least they thought they were. <clears throat> Why does... They were oriented towards neighbor community. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but if you eliminate suffering, the meaning of suffering, but you can't eliminate suffering, and in fact... You set yourself up for more suffering by promising the world and then not delivering, and even some of those promises end up being making things worse for you, at least for your mental health. Boy, you're one step away from 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 problem, uh, and and asking yourself is is it worth it? And so, in the modern world, you see suicides and even the talk of suicides go in a different direction, right? And it's a spike there. And I wonder if one of the primary reasons, if not the reason, is we don't have a context for suffering. We don't know how to suffer. We don't have a meaning for suffering. Or from a theological point of view, we don't have a theology of suffering. I, I take any worship today. We're talking about the Agnus Dei and the Sanctus and, and this kind of stuff. And I just stopped and said, to be fully human is to suffer and to have compassion, right? To be fully divine in, a broke, in this broken world is to suffer as Christ did for us. And so you can't always sing the wedding song. You have to sing the funeral dirge because a lot of life is, is sung in the minor key, as people say. And so it's good for us to go from the Sanctus to the Agnus Dei. It's good for us to see the body on the cross, right? And, and, and stop just pretending like everything's okay. And, for, and, and the reason for that is, and why going to church and, and seeing that ups and downs on a, on a regular Sunday basis and not just getting fluff all the time, is it prepares you for your life. And so I'm like, I have a lot of nursing students in there. I'm like, your heart's going to be broken on a regular basis, or and the teacher or whatever. Like, here, here, here's the psalmist. Here's the, the wisdom of the liturgy. Here is, the, here is uh, putting Good Friday in front of you, preparing you to handle suffering in a compassionate way. And... When you don't have that framework, and in fact you've been told that suffering, you shouldn't have to suffer and something's wrong if you suffer, not wrong as in sin, but something's wrong with your mental health or society if you suffer, and you can't eliminate that suffering, man, you have set people up for a huge letdown and a huge failure, and I would suggest sometimes even worse. So having a theology of suffering i think is essential for mental health i think it's essential for our mission mission to the world and i'm wondering if it is whether we know it or not the question for the church today yeah saint augustine um so i was talking about this the other day in ethics when we were um, looking at him and uh, i'm trying to remember where he says this uh but he's he's talking about kind of the shortcoming of this Greek philosophical, the various Greek philosophical notions of, of happiness and how you could just achieve it, you know, um, with habituation, you know, or with knowledge or all these things. 
and he he talks about suffering if we're thinking of you know suffering as the chief problem and then the in the goal is to avoid suffering to get away from suffering he he says that 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 desire that that um that living in such a way makes one less human not more um and if i'm remembering how he's using that you know part of the idea is in in this world you can't love without suffering because love is self real love is self-giving you're making yourself vulnerable you're you're giving another person the opportunity to hurt you this is why jesus says love your enemies right all love is the potential to have harm done in return so think of your most meaningful relationships in this life so for instance with your spouse your spouse is hopefully one of the people who loves you more than anyone else in the world, but they can also hurt you. And nobody does more damage than they that know the words to say. Yeah. Um, Michael, right? Um, I love Michael probably more than almost anyone else in this world, and yet he can say, "What's with the argyle sweater vest?" and <laughs> and I won't sleep tonight. No. Um, to be fair, I didn't say it to your face; I said it behind your back. Right <laughs> to your kids. To spare your feelings. <laughs> yes. um, but to be more serious. Um, I think what Augustine's getting at is is there is you you look for Christ to love us for Christ to love sinners he had to suffer there was no right of, and sometimes we make that always just God's great exchange or always just penal substitution you know he's paying this debt whatever um, I don't know how well I did that today in chapel but I was, uh, part of, I just trying to get at what's some different ways to picture what's going on here. And maybe the East is a little bit better than the West with Christianity with sometimes of just saying, like, the main point of this is love. Like, you look at this and you see God's love. And I think in the West, especially, we look at the, the suffering of the cross and we want to answer the why. Why did it have to happen? And maybe there's sometimes value in the East ability to say, look, this happened because he loves you. Mm-hmm. And maybe we don't have to nail down every aspect always in every instance of why maybe it don't, doesn't always have to be just paying the debt language or whatever but he loved you with a love that suffered i think this is why older couples sometimes are have a love that you only get by having gone through everything yep, together yep, absolutely and they might be tempted to look back and say well why did we have every relationship crisis we ever had well sometimes we don't have to nail that down what it is enough to know is that they suffered with me and for me yep. through this. And um, if if we just make, if a theology of suffering just became theodicy, mm. just to say, well, this is why this is yep. happening, this is why that, um, A, it needs to read Job, mm. right? Um, but I think, B, it falls short of just getting, as you hit on earlier, and I like how you put it, that this is just part of the human experience. Now, I'm not saying to be human in heaven will mean to suffer, but the suffering we've experienced here in heaven will be like trophies. Yep. Um, John Gerhardt talks about the waters of heaven will be all the sweeter for the bitter waters we drink here. Our scars will be like trophies. Um, and I, I had students a few weeks ago who... Um, or maybe it was J term where Paul talks about like levels of heaven. He's caught up into the third level. And they're like, well, there'll be levels of heaven or rewards. And I'm like, yeah, heaven won't be the reward. 
but there will be rewards in heaven. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, well, John the Baptist will have his head back and his head will be the most amazing head ever for him because it got cut off. Um, you know, the person who never experienced, um, you know, just boundless parental love will be overawed by the love of, of a father, right? Or of the mother of the church. Um, and, and that's not meant to make suffering like, well, you, you go through this, you'll get that. Yeah. It's not to say, hey, suffer so you'll get something back. But it's just to say that is, that's how love works and faith is never apart from love. And so I, I put on my neighbor, um, as Christ put on me, and you hit on this in your chapel sermon, right, that Christ went into suffering. And when you first started that, I got a little nervous. I'm going to be like, okay, this is, we're not going to like be like sadomasochist now of like, uh, hey, look yeah. to suffer, right. because that can become a reverse theology right. of glory, as right. we've called yep. it before. Yep. But it did strike home to me, there's no way to love my neighbor but to go into potential suffering, yeah. because I, I don't ever know how that love will end up. Yeah, you never, you, you don't choose your crosses. You don't go looking for them. They're placed in front of you. Right. And so, in that, I mean, this is what Paul's, in all things, I, glory, like, God give me good things. Good things. It's been good. Mm-hmm. If God gives me, God gives me bad things, then okay, I'm gonna. That stinks, but here we go, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and 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 I think we have court the uh, a theology of suffering, if we could use that terminology, um, is going to, I mean, be driven a lot by the theology of the cross, the Heidelberg Disputation, and in one case, it's going to be very clear to say, we don't know. <laughs> You know, we, we, I cannot, I can't go A to B, right? I can't, I can't just match up things like, you know, matching on, on a test. Here's all my sufferings and mm-hmm. here's the reasons for that. But God, God does give us general reasons for our suffering. And if for no other reason, he's pushing us to a place where we have to go to him, right? Where, where we, we stop, we stop, we have to stop trusting in ourselves. Um, so, you know, I, I tell my students over and over again when I do, like, I'll talk Job or we'll go through, I, I call them the seven C's that we find of reasons in the Bible that God allows suffering, not just allows it, but sends it. Don't let God off the hook here. Tell them about theodicy and the dangers of that. And when God's closing doors and opening windows, you have no idea what he's doing. And so don't tell me he opens one door and closes a window. Mm-hmm. Tell them about the only story with doors and windows is when they're shut and Thomas is in there and has nowhere to go but to Christ. <laughs> um, and that's what he does in suffering, right? Puts you in a corner until he has There's also the kid who falls asleep during Paul's right. sermon. It's just a window, yeah. but it's not a door, is yeah, it? That's true. It's <laughs> only a window, yeah. It's still a bad thing. Yeah, it's a bad thing. <laughs> um, and so like the seven C's, after I do all this, I will say, and you have the advantage now. You have advantage once because you're not going to fall apart because you have a theology of suffering. And number two, you have what it takes to minister to people here. Which yeah. is what Paul I, says is the whole point of why he and the others have suffered is so that we can then comfort others in their despair, right? This is in the, the is that, that's the committal. I don't think it's the funeral rite itself in the hymnal, but the no, committal. It, it was in the funeral rite itself, yeah. yeah. I think, the other thing, you know, kind of with that, I think, you know, you're talking about like Eutychus falling out of the window. I always think that, you know, it's like if someone falls asleep, you know, as a preacher, you know, someone fell asleep during Paul's sermon, I guess, you know, yeah, hey, that yeah, can, yeah. I, I guess maybe, maybe not all mine are, 
you know, are All great. But, but, you know, Paul had his off You've got some too. pretty good ones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Remind so, me to come back. Yeah, go let oh, go on that. I, guess. I but, was going to make a joke. But, but then uh, I, I was going to say one of the, just kind of talking about, like, you know, being there and, you know, with whether it's Jesus being there or, you know, knowing that you're going to be there, knowing that you, you can be with others in suffering. And one of the things that I'd come across, I don't, I don't remember even who, where, where I heard this, but it was relatively early on in um, the parish ministry that talked about a ministry of presence you know yeah, this idea yeah. that you're just be there, just being there, and yep. and I think that's something too that and shut up while you're there, yeah, yeah right, yeah. <laughs> and, and not be afraid to shut up because you know sometimes it's like, and, and how you know people look back on that, you know sometimes too, you know as pa- and they say, pastor, you were there mm-hmm. when, mm-hmm. and it's not wh- what you said was so profound, although I'm sure they appreciated what mm-hmm. you said, mm-hmm. but the idea just it was just there. you were there during these times when. We were we were really in the in the thick of it. Half a life is showing up. Yeah. I, yeah. Speaking of people, you know, uh, falling out of windows when you preach when they fall asleep, we had a professor at seminary. Uh, I'll say his name afterwards, but he had multiple people die in during his sermons. Really? <laughs> like old people like die in the pews. Yeah. That know. one's a rough. I did not remember yeah. that. That's that a rough, rough one. Yeah. yeah. Can I, I mean, can I share a tweet? Yeah, you can. So, um, Damian Lillard, Milwaukee Buck, mm-hmm. has. Um, so there was kind of a little controversy because he was talking about life in Milwaukee, and some people took this as like he was attacking Milwaukee, which he wasn't, but he's been going through some family stuff. He's kind of, you know, living alone right now. Um, and so he said that life in Milwaukee is lonely, and he doesn't have much of a life. He goes to practice, goes home, watch boxing, play video games. Um, and uh, And so he's saying this, you know, like this is I don't have much of a life. And so I just saw that's a Tigers fan, so someone I follow for that. This is a rather heartless reply. Quote t- tweets, it says, Sounds like hell, honestly. Sitting in your mansion all evening playing video games and watching sports, I can't imagine what he's been through. And it's ironic that I would see it while I was trying to look for something related to this on Twitter. It kind of can be like hell, mm-hmm. right? And I think this gets at part of what you were saying, Michael, of... And our attempt to like to keep suffering at bay or to numb ourselves to it, part of what I think that a lot of people have been awakened to and leads to depression and anxiety is like, well, okay, so we did all that for this, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you 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 were promised a perfect. Yeah, this guy thinks, well, yeah, you've got your mansion, you've got video games, you've got boxing, you can watch, like, that's the life. And the thing is what we find, and suicide rates too, they don't go down the richer you get. Um, Well, as Mace, if Mace has taught us anything, it is more money. (laughs) More money. Isn't that Biggie? Yeah. I think it was Mace and Biggie. Uh, Mace was... Puffy Puffy and... Hold on, I'll look at that. Mace was uh, getting the money. (laughs) <laughs> I think Biggie was more money, more problems. Uh, you're right. But you're I do think right. it. I do think sometimes we think that suffering only just means physical pain too. But there's something you know. One of the the big sins that in church history that would be talked about that we don't talk about enough now would be what you got to leave, Jason. I think I'm gonna. Yeah, uh, I think I'm, I'm gonna, gonna mute your so. mic. Would be what a sadia or a chidia. I forget how you say yeah, it, but kind of like apathy or indifference. Yeah. And you think um to what I think is the heyday personally, of American history, which is the 1990s. Oh, absolutely. 
Um, but what was grunge music? And I think of like, um, it smells like Teen Spirit, the famous Nirvana video. And it's kind of like the gym and they're just kind of half-hearted. And it was, the cool thing was to be disillusioned. And I think a lot of what's happening now is like, we like realized in the 90s some of these things, but then we just like made songs and brands out of them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and uh, that there is a suffering to not suffering that a complete lack of suffering can lead to a state where, um, of anguish that is maybe worse than if you were going through something. Um, some of the Lutheran fathers, early Lutheran fathers would talk about this when they would talk about that sometimes um, the anticipation of suffering or the not suffering is worse than suffering itself because it puts us in ourselves. Um, and I think loneliness is a big thing um, that hits on this too. When I when I am failing to love, when I'm detached from neighbor for fear of suffering, I'm then also separating myself yeah. from purpose and meaning. And I think the church is right to talk. I mean, we talk about anxiety all the time and loneliness and usually to make a point for ourselves. But um, when we're, we're ministering to people that, you know, let the therapist be the therapist, but I think the pastor needs to be a theologian and he needs to have, he needs to have that. And, and to remind people that, you know, even if things go outwardly well for them, uh, you can't just escape this suffering. I don't care if you you went through, you graduated from therapy, you got the promotion, you did all those things, and you start to realize, right, that those things were gods, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, oh, you're gonna get us copyrights. Like, don't do that. That was long enough. Okay. Um, no, no copyright. More money, more problems is if, biggie though. Yeah, you're right. Notorious B.I.G. Mace though, did you? Uh, if you only remember now because you looked, did you remember how to spell it? I Googled it and I spelled it correctly. M A dollar sign. Yeah. <laughs> I thought Mace was, yeah, Mace was a different Mace one with and, Puffy. Both Mace Big, and Puffy did stuff with Biggie. Right. And Biggie, this is more money. Whereas with Snoop, Tupac, yes. um, Warren G, remember We're Regulators? Not, listen, we don't want to get into East Coast, West Coast right now, okay? Well, it, suffering came out of it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Much suffering. <laughs> The uh, all right. Well, we should probably. Which, by the way, is why rap right has lasting power. Yep. And even and country sometimes music, we I, would, I would um, um, not be happy to say this because it's not my favorite genre, but country music has lasting power too. At I least like old that. school country. There's a tear in my beard. Um, I will say with hip hop, sometimes people will make fun of you know, well, suburban kids listening to hip hop, like they don't understand like the problems in it. They might not have the same problems, like maybe they're not like drug dealing or whatever yeah. else. But the I the we love we recognize um suffering, struggle, and if we have something we can identify, mm-hmm. you know, with it. There's I would say that there that's an innate something that that's part about life, and it also. Middle school, high school is partly about that. Like, what do you yeah. think of all the things that like we had anguish about? That um, well, you're you're maybe on the, you're on the other side of it, where you're like, okay, we have we have a nice life, mm-hmm. and you're like, didn't get us anywhere, right? Didn't get us anywhere. Um, not not to diminish the blessings, but I mean, if you understand the blessings as gifts, then it, that it is there. But if you're looking for a deeper meaning to life apart from God, without a theology of suffering, without a theology of vocation, without a theology of the cross, well, then so what if you have a so what if you have a 
a nice little life with a with a Subaru and the whatever. You know what you lost? You lost uh, a sense of self righteousness where the kid on the streets can say, "I I went through it," and so you you still have this angst, and it's precisely because you're not able to understand what suffering is. It's not an attempt at self justification, nor is it just a punishment that leaves you with with no purpose. Um, nor do you have a theology of grace, which is to say these are good gifts that you should enjoy and be charitable to people and not feel guilty about it, right? And so there's a theological misunderstanding on on, on all ends there, yeah. And it know. does make, uh, it can make much of the scriptures an almost unintelligible document uh, because you're coming from such a different world yeah, where you just think, think those problems aren't my problems, which is... For instance, Luke, Tom, Luke Thompson has written on Ecclesiastes. Like in some ways, like Ecclesiastes is maybe in Job are books for our yeah. day that we need because they're they're can and this also then leads to preaching trying to make those texts relevant as if they're not relevant. Well, the problem is we don't understand how relevant they are that yeah. they are speaking to our condition. Ooh, that's and, a good thought. And so I think I don't. I'm not saying that one of the rules for hermeneutics has to involve suffering. Yeah. But I do think suffering is a hermeneutical lens into what is happening in Scripture. That's a, that's a really good thought because we are always t- told to apply the text. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if the, the the unintended consequence of that is we stop asking the big questions that the texts actually are action, asking and, and force them upon people. Um, and then we, we just typically dumb down or moralize more likely a profound text. Then we let them linger in the wrong questions. Yeah. I, or I, the right the right questions, but without the framework to seek the right answers. And that's, of course, what we mean by letting Scripture read us rather than reading Scripture. And I wonder if that, would, that was a good... That, there was an unintended consequence when our very great homiletical <laughs> teachers, coming from a late modern period, were very didactic in their way of thinking about a sermon. Do this, do this, and then deliver the information. Repeat, you know that kind of thing. Uh, we talked about this before: the difference between preaching about the gospel and preaching the gospel. I wonder if one of the unintended consequences of a constantly telling them, telling us to apply the text was we molded the text to fit our context, yeah. rather and we than, ask, "What am I doing in the sermon?" Rather than, yeah. "What is the text doing yeah. in the sermon?" Instead of asking, "What is the big question that that the text is asking upon me?" Right. Yeah, that's a good thought. Okay, well, I'm an, I don't often get those compliments, so I'm going to go ahead and let us wind down <laughs> on that so I can uh, linger, and then I'm going to go home and, and burn my sweater vest. I think it looks good. Okay, well, thank it you. Was, it I was, found it somewhat critical. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, you are, you're being far too millennial, gen whatever it is right now, because if this was 1996 and I made fun of your outfit, you knew very well that it was a compliment. I would have known now there's a you're chance. Be, you're yeah. being too sensitive. All right, I'll take that in stride. <laughs> Although I'm going to feel hurt about that too. Um, all right, well, we'll go ahead and wrap up there. I'm sure this is something we'll be returning to at times in the future. Um, but we thank you for joining us and listening. It may seem odd, right, to um, to think of, you know, truly flourishing, to think of truly loving, um, to think of, to some degree, freedom um, in the midst of suffering. But I would I would venture to say, hopefully, if we've if we've said anything today, uh, that a critical part of uh, living life is learning 
that even in the midst of suffering and sometimes through suffering, we can uh, let the bird fly. I don't know if you saw Michael, but I sent you, a, you did. some of the pictures from our foodie group. Um, if you like what you see, feel free to let me know, and I will, uh, I'll add you in there. 